So what is the hardest thing you have ever done? It's the hardest thing you've ever done. Maybe the hardest thing you've ever done is, is spend six weeks, seven weeks at home. Maybe that's it. Maybe the hardest thing you've ever done is do school by Zoom on a computer. Now, maybe the hardest thing you've ever done is to be at home with your kids while they do Zoom at school on a computer. Yeah. Maybe the hardest thing you've ever done is right now having to social distance from your extended family, to social distance from your friends. Maybe the hardest thing for you is social distancing from your boyfriend or your girlfriend. Maybe the hard thing for you right now is not being able to get your hair cut. You know, maybe that's a real thing right now, you know. Or maybe it's, it's not being able to get your hair colored. Or maybe it's not being able to get a brush through your hair because you've been at home for the last seven weeks. Maybe, maybe your hair is just a thing. I mean, my hair is a thing. We can all see that. I came across a list of some of the, the hard, a video actually, some of the hardest things in life. And it's from people ages 5 to 75. So there's one person for every age. It's, it's fantastic. And so here are just a few of the things that were mentioned. I think it was a, a six- or seven-year-old girl. She said the hardest thing in her life was math problems. Amen, sister. I'm with you wholeheartedly. Somebody else said uh, moving to a new city was a hard thing. Being a parent was a hard thing. Going to school full-time and working a full-time job was a hard thing. There was one guy, 39 years old, he said running backwards was the hardest thing he's ever done in his life. Okay, yeah, bless him. There's another lady, she uh, told her story. She was 42 years old. She was at the airport. She's waiting to get on a plane for her job when she gets a phone call from her job saying that she had been fired from her job. Yeah, that's kind of tough. Another lady said the hardest thing that she had ever experienced was ziplining. That's good. Proud of her for doing it. I think she was 50. And then one lady who has really become a close friend to us immediately after I say this, she's 67 years old, and she said the hardest thing she has ever had to deal with in life over and over again is maintaining her weight. Mm-hmm. Man, I can feel that for sure. Yeah. Albert Einstein was a theoretical physicist. He's listed often as the top two or three smartest people that ever lived. For the last 22 years of his life, Leo Mattersdorf was his friend and his accounting advisor. And one day they were at Einstein's house having lunch, and this is what Einstein said to Leo. The hardest thing in the world to understand is income taxes. Yeah. He was a very, very smart man. Hit the nail on the head with that one, right? Morgan Freeman, an Academy Award-winning actor, was talking once about what he had learned from other actors, and this is what he said. What I learned from the great actors that I work with, stillness. That's all, and that's the hardest thing. Every stay-at-home parent and child right now would agree that stillness is the hardest thing. Bob Hope was 90 years old. He was being interviewed and he was incidentally eating some chicken pot pie while he was being interviewed. And he said this in the course of the interview, the hardest part of being 90 years old is answering all the questions about being 90 years old. Good word. I guess when you're 90, you have earned the right to to sing, you know, chicken pot pie and I don't care. I'm not 90 and I sing that all the time, so maybe, maybe that doesn't work. 
At the end of the day, though, most all of us know what the hardest thing is, right? I mean, we know the hardest thing in the universe is folding a fitted sheet. Hardest thing ever. If you've never done, try it today. You'll, you'll lose your mind. Yeah. Actually, someone has said that the hardest thing in the universe has already happened. And that it can only happen once. It can't be repeated. And that one hardest thing is the greatest power in the universe for every hard thing you will ever experience. Listen to that again. This, this one thing, this one hardest thing, the hardest thing that's ever happened in the universe, the hardest thing that's ever happened in the history of the world, it is the one thing that is the fuel and the energy and the power for the hardest things you will ever go through in life. This one thing, this one truth has the power to change your heart and your mind and your soul and especially your attitude, no matter what's happening. That sounds like something. So what is it? Let's find out. Apostle Paul was writing to the folks in Rome and in Romans 8.32, he says this, He who did not spare his own son, God did not spare Jesus. What does that mean? Well, it means that God did not spare Jesus from loss, discomfort, torture, pain, shame, horror, and death. He didn't spare him from those things. Now, just stop and do just a a little bit of math on that. In your moment where you are experiencing some sense of loss, discomfort, torture, pain, shame, horror, or death. In that moment, when you are screaming at God in the dark, telling Him to make it all stop, remember that God did not make it all stop for Jesus. And Jesus kind of asked Him to. An hour or two before he was arrested, Jesus was walking through the garden at Gethsemane and and he suddenly fell on his face and he started praying. And this this is what he prayed. My father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. It was going to be an extremely hard cup. It It was a hard cup to drink from. But this moment should be really encouraging to us because, see, we tend to beat ourselves up for struggling through difficult things. We tend to to beat ourselves up when things get hard. But listen, life is hard, and life hurts, and life is full of pain, and we will be screaming in the dark sometimes. But in a sense, so did Jesus. So did Jesus. So what's so hard about this cup? What's the deal with this cup? Well, have you ever heard the phrase or or something like this, that person's being prosecuted to the the full letter of the law, the fullest extent of the law? Well, this, this cup 
that Jesus was facing was not full of Iocane powder, okay? That would be inconceivable. No, no, this cup, this cup was a completely different cup. It's, it's not a cup from a movie. It's not a cup from a TV show. It's not a, a cup from your cupboard. This cup was slam full to the fullest extent of the full law. The full letter of the law to the fullest extent, this cup was slam full. In other words, this cup was complete and full and final payment. This cup was going to be emptied by Jesus. Now, remember who Jesus is. Remember this is Jesus who's going to drink this cup that's the fullest extent of the letter of the law. So what do we know about Jesus? Well, Pilate was the government politician, the official who was responsible for handing Jesus over to be executed. And when the court was in session over Jesus, Pilate received a message from his wife. And this was the message. Have nothing to do with that righteous man. Jesus was was completely innocent. He was righteous. He was not a criminal. Even people who didn't follow him, they knew that to be true. Jesus, when he was crucified, he was was placed between two criminals. One of those criminals, he started mocking Jesus. The other criminal, though, rebuked him for mocking Jesus, and he said this to him. He said, we are getting what we deserve, but this man has done nothing wrong. Even a hardened criminal knew that Jesus did not deserve to die on the cross. And yet, there was Jesus. There was Jesus being crucified. There was Jesus drinking the cup. There was Jesus receiving the full letter of the law. And the evidence against him was pathetic. I mean, the witnesses, their testimonies were inconsistent and false. Jesus had every reason to appeal his sentence. Jesus could have tried to fight for his religious freedom. He could have said, you know what, this is a kangaroo court you've assembled, and you are illegally taking away my freedom to be at church with my friends. But throughout the entire process, almost exclusively, Jesus was silent. Long before Morgan Freeman and other great actors, Jesus was the perfect example of stillness. Why? Because Jesus knew that the cup had to be emptied to the very last drop. He knew it. And God also knew that it had to be emptied. God knew that if there was one bending in the law, if, if just for a little bit, if, if any of the full extent of the law was, was bent, that means the full extent of the law would not have been kept. That means the, the penalty would not have been complete. It means that justice would not have been served. It means that the penalty of my sin and your sin would not be completely paid. 
There couldn't be any room for a legal loophole. This had to be dealt with once and for all. Unlike many of us over the last few weeks when it comes to cleaning out our garage or that junk room, God did not hesitate. He didn't hesitate. He did not hesitate to not spare his son from loss and discomfort, from torture and pain, from shame and horror and death. Why? Why would God do that? Paul tells us, look again at verse 32. He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him over for us all. That was the hardest thing that has ever been done in the history of the world. Jesus was perfect. He was righteous. He had never done anything wrong. And yet, God did not spare him from being delivered over for crucifixion. In fact, God did the opposite. He delivered him himself. Jesus was not somebody who stumbled up on the cross. Jesus was not at the wrong place at the wrong time. Jesus was not the victim of some government conspiracy. Through very religious people who were fighting for their religious rights, through arrogant, irreligious government officials, God, through those folks, delivered up Jesus to be crucified. And again, we ask why. But don't miss those two words in the verse right there. For us. For us. William Matheson in his book, My Grandfather's War, tells a story about a veteran in his hometown and he was just walking down the street The veteran had an empty sleeve. Somebody passing by went up to him and and thanked him for his service. And he asked him, he said, how did you lose your arm? And the veteran very graciously looked back at the man and said, I did not lose my arm, I gave it. Jesus did not lose his life, he gave it for you. And God, by by all that we see in the Scripture, we are looking at a moment where He has done something amazing. It wasn't an accident. It wasn't a conspiracy. It was the grandest display of love from a father through His Son. And that grand display, that amazing display, was the hardest thing that has ever been done. God delivered Jesus for you. God handed over His perfectly innocent Son for you. Jesus died so that you could be set free from the full extent of the law. Jesus died so that you would not have to drink the cup. Jesus emptied the cup every last drop so that the penalty of your sin would be completely satisfied and paid. Now someone might say, I I just don't believe in all this stuff. I I don't believe in all this stuff about sin and 
and needing to be saved. Look, I've, I've worked hard. I've taken care of my family. I mean, you know, I may not report everything on my taxes, but, you know, I've never robbed a bank and I never killed anybody, so I, I think I'm good. Okay, let's, let's take those thoughts and, and, and try to think through them hopefully, helpfully, and strategically with, with one question. Why do you exist? Why are you here? About 700 years before Jesus was born, God made sure that the prophet Isaiah wrote these words down. Everyone who is called by my name and whom I have created for my glory, whom I have formed, even whom I have made. Think on this. No matter where you go to school, no matter where you work, no matter what you want to be when you grow up, no matter what country you were born in, no matter the color of your skin, no matter your political affiliation, no matter if you drink decaf or regular, or Coke or Pepsi or Sprite or Mountain Dew or God's soft drink, water. No matter what you may do in life, no matter what things you may like in life, none of those things or things like that that I just mentioned define who you are. They don't define why you exist. Before the foundations of the world, God in his character and his nature established why you exist. And, and then, in the kindness of God, he created the world and all that is in it. He made it possible for you to be alive. And by his own definition, as your creator, you exist to enjoy God and to enjoy his glory forever, to reflect his glory forever. So if you aren't enjoying God right now, if you aren't enjoying his glory, if you aren't reflecting his glory, that means in a very real sense, you are not functioning for the reason that you exist. You're functioning outside of the reason you exist. And when we function outside of the reason that we exist, we are not free. We're not free. See, when we think of freedom, we think of freedom as, as being able to do whatever you want. But that's only kind of, sort of, partially true. I was reading something this week and I thought it was kind of interesting. It says you can be living in your rights and not be free. Don't miss that. You can be living in your rights. All of your rights are intact and yet you cannot be free. And, and this was the way it explained it. I love this picture. Is a fish waddling on the land free? You can see the fish, right? I told those losers in my school that they, they could keep telling me what to do. They could keep me at home in that ocean. Look at me now. I'm free. I'm on my own. I'm free. But I am having problems breathing. I'm not, I'm not really sure what, what that's about. Yeah. Wasn't really going to work out that good. Here's the other picture. Is a bird with its wings cut off free? Same thing, right? <laughs> I told those other crows, man, they, they can't make me scavenge forever. They can't keep me at home up there in that tree. Look at me now, man. I'm free. I'm on my own. I'm free. But I wonder what that furry thing with the big teeth is running at me. I, I, I don't know. See, we can have our rights and, and not be free. True freedom is not doing what you want. True freedom is not doing what you like. True freedom 
is not even the freedom to choose. To make the decision yourself, that's, that's not even true freedom. Your heart and your mind and your soul have been created with a preloaded reality. Now you may push against that preloaded reality. You may kick against it. You may ignore it. You may reject it. But that reality is this. True freedom can only be found by enjoying and glorifying God. That's it. I know it sounds too simple. It's, it's math that, that has to have more to it. But it, it really is kind of that simple. So not perfectly, okay? Not perfectly. But if you are not enjoying God, if you are not reflecting His glory, if you're not enjoying His glory, if you're not glorifying Him, then you are not really free. Came across a pretty cool definition of freedom. I really like it. It goes like this. Freedom is being able to do whatever you love to do and not regretting it in a million years. If you wake up on the other side of death and you realize that the hardest thing that ever happened in the universe was God not sparing His own Son, but delivering Him up for you. If you wake up on the other side of death and you realize that, you will regret that you pushed back, kicked back, ignored, or rejected that. You'll regret it. And you'll regret it forever. Because you won't be free forever. You won't be enjoying freedom forever. You won't be enjoying that Jesus drank that cup empty for you. But not just forever. Today, you'll regret it today. You won't be free today. How? Why? Well, Paul tells us. Listen to the next part of verse 32. He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him over for us all, how will he not also with him freely give us all things? All things. Now, now quickly, let's go back to what we said a moment ago because it's, it's big time important. In our moment, in your moment, where you are feeling some sense of loss or discomfort or torture or pain or shame or horror or death, in that moment, don't forget that God did not spare Jesus from those things. And the reason that matters is because what Paul's doing, he's, he's pointing us to a greater and lesser argument. I cannot speak highly enough about my parents. My parents have just been fantastic. They, they have always gone out of their way to, to care for me, to, to care for my family, to serve us, to help us in, in any way that they can. Uh, constantly looking out for ways to help us. And they've done a, a pretty good job of cooperating with the stay-at-home guidelines outside of a, a few stray instances. And, and those stray instances are why my quarantine bald spot is getting a lot bigger right now. And, and one of those is my 84-year-old higher health risk father showing up at my house this week with gloves and a mask to bring us a package of toilet paper. <laughs> Bless his heart. He just had to get out of the house. But you know, that's my dad. Looking for ways to help. Looking for ways to serve. So, imagine 
46 weeks from now when the stay-at-home social distancing is lifted. Hopefully that's not a true number. I'm just throwing that out. But but whenever the time comes. Imagine that that we're visiting my parents. And and we drive the 45 minutes that my dad drove to bring us toilet paper. And and we go down there to visit. And and at some point I ask my son, hey, go ask my dad for a pen. Do you think my dad is going to look at my son and say, Holden, (laughs) you lazy, good-for-nothing, Fortnite-playing punk man, you know what, just go get a job and get your own pen. My dad's not going to say that, right? I mean, if my dad is going to defy executive and medical guidelines to make sure our family gets some toiletries, then I'm pretty sure he's going to be able to handle a pen, okay? You see the picture here? Greater, lesser. Greater, lesser. So in this picture... If the one true God of the universe would not spare his son from being delivered over so that you could escape eternal condemnation, so that you could escape the kind of death, the kind of dying that never ends for all eternity. If God would do that, then he can be trusted to give you all things. If God has done the greater, then he will do the lesser. Now, what does all things mean? I mean, really all things? I mean, when Paul says all things, man, is he talking about, you know, great toys? Is he talking about great shoes, great video games? Is he talking about, you know, great graduation gifts, great scholarships, great jobs? Great spouses, great kids, great cars, great homes, great haircuts. Is he talking about you know, great things like stock returns and retirement and, and promotions and, and all, the, all those things? Is, is that what Paul's talking about? Not at all. Not at all. Now, in God's grace and mercy, could you get all of those things? Sure. But you might not. You might have a pandemic or a hurricane or tornado that brings you low, that brings you to a point of humility, that brings you to a point where you have to reevaluate what matters. And hopefully, we will, right? Hopefully, when the, when the hard things in life come, we won't blow them off, but we'll use them as an opportunity to, to really see what matters to really see what what has ultimate value, eternal value. So so think about that in the context of now. If and when the social distancing restrictions are lifted and and when everybody gets back to work and everybody gets back to school and everybody gets back to sports, when when the, the stock market starts growing again, when, when our jobs get better, when, when the economy is accelerated, when all those things get back to where we want them to be, where we're praying for them to be, where we desire for them to be, when all of those things get back, if you still do not have Christ, you have nothing of real value. You have very valuable things, but you do not have the kind of value that matches the empty 
Vance Havner once said this, all that I need is Jesus because all that I need is in Jesus. <laughs> yeah, I, I know it sounds hokey to many, but I can't say it any clearer than that. All you need is Jesus. Whatever you have already blown social media up with this morning that you're mad or angry or frustrated or confused or wishing about, none of those things are things that you need as much as you need Jesus. All you need is Jesus because all you really need is in Jesus. So how do we know that all things from Paul does not really mean like anything we want? How do we know that all things doesn't mean that you're going to get some cool Air Jordans or you know, that you're going to get a Nintendo Switch or you're going to get the you know, best dress at Altered State or, or you're going to get top-of-the-line air fryer or, or maybe you're you know, going to get the best accessories for your truck or your Mustang or, or all the yogurt you could ever want to eat? How do we know that's not what Paul necessarily means? Well, it's because of what he said about four sentences later. Romans eight thirty six. For your sake, we are being put to death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. I, I don't know. I, I just can't see a whole lot of us, you know, getting on our knees by our bed at night and praying, now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord will deliver me over to death all day long tomorrow like a sheep being slaughtered. It just doesn't have a ring to it, does it? It's not a perfect, fluffy life that we've been promised. It's not that we're going to get all the things that we ever wanted in life. It's, it's not that that's the promise. What we have been promised is a perfect Savior. A, a perfect Savior. In the middle of your hardest moment in life, if you are in Christ, if you are in Jesus, you can always say to yourself, God did the greater, so I know he'll do the lesser. You can always say to yourself, God did not spare his own son, so I know he can take care of me in this moment, regardless of what this moment is. Because the cup has been emptied, and the full letter of the law has been satisfied. The greater and lesser is a big deal for us right now. Why? Because here's what Paul's doing. He's kind of saying to us, in the middle of a pandemic, you don't have to be an angry jerk. You don't have to be livid with the government. You don't have to be losing your mind over the stock market or the economy. You don't have to be a, a fraidy cat freaking out over getting sick or, or afraid that you won't be able to get your hair colored before Mother's Day. See, what Paul is saying is this, that because the cup has been emptied, because the full letter of the law has been satisfied, because God did not spare his own son, there's never a moment that you cannot whisper to your soul, I will not be abandoned. If you're a believer, there is never a millisecond of your life that you cannot say to your soul, I will not be abandoned. Why is that true? 
it's true because God didn't spare his own son. I can't promise you that you won't have a hardship or a heartache this week. But if you do, or if it's next, next week or, or 10 weeks from now or, or 10 years from now, you never have to doubt God. Just hang on that for a second. Because I'm just telling you, this past week, I've had those moments where I'm like, God, what are you doing? And my guess is you have too. But regardless of the hardship, regardless of the heartache, you don't have to doubt God ever. Why? Because he did the hardest thing. He did the hardest thing. He did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for you. And because that's true, this is also true. God is for you. Dear Christian, in your moment of doubt, your moment of hardship, your moment of heartache, when you want to scream at God in the dark, when you get through screaming at God in the dark, scream to your soul because He did not spare His own Son. He is for you. God is for you. God is for you. That's the greater. He'll take care of the lesser. Because he's for you.